Welcome to Game Night with the Saints. We're your hosts, Jess and Brad St. Pierre. We're a husband and wife who have a passion for board games, and this podcast is dedicated to sharing that passion. So, welcome to episode eight of Game Nights with the Saints. We have a little something special this week for the holidays, and so if you're joining us for the first time, the format of our podcast is we usually share a board game memory from the past couple of weeks, and then we talk about notable news in our crowdfunding corner, and then we'll jump into our topic or review, and this week it is about holiday gift buying featuring board games. <laughs> So let's start off with our board game memory. Brad, why don't you kick us off this week? Yeah, I'm excited. I actually have a memory this week. We actually got to play some <laughs> games, so feels pretty good. Um, all right, so we tried Dinosaur Island Roar and Write for the first time the other day. And it's actually the first time that we've played Roll and Writes as well. We haven't really done a lot with that genre and it's definitely different than I expected. We'll probably end up reviewing that game at some point. But anyway, so if you've played Dinosaur Island, you already understand what Dinosaur Island of Roar and Wright is about. You're building a park that's kind of a Jurassic Park-esque uh, theme park with dinosaurs and rides and stuff. And I like this version because it gives you bonuses for building a cohesive park and being able to take your patrons through your park in a cohesive way but i didn't do that at all <laughs> i built probably the most shoddy park ever i had almost no roads connecting my buildings and my tours barely ever went to more than like two buildings at a time so that was not exciting but at some point i realized that i had the welcome center which gives you two points for each dinosaur you have at the end of the game so I just made it my mission to just pump out as many dinosaurs as I could rather than worry about park cohesion. And I feel like I became, and this is dating me a little bit here, but I feel like I became like the building 19 of dinosaurs. <laughs> or it's like that meme with the car salesman slapping the roof of the car and being like, this bad boy fits so many dinos in it. <laughs> and, you know, I won that game, but uh, you wouldn't know it to look at my park. It was pretty bad. <laughs> You know, what this, you know what this reminds me of is the time we played Galaxy Trucker and you got the points and there was like four pieces of a ship oh, left. Oh, yeah. Prettiest I, ship. Prettiest ship ever. And I had, the, I, I had a beautiful ship that had barely any damage and you still technically won because of the parameters. That's what this reminds me of because I had a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful park and he still beat me. <laughs> it's all about those dinos. <laughs> What about you, Jess? What was your uh, memory for the week? So like Brad said, and we've mentioned in previous podcasts, we've had a lot going on in our lives. That's why this is the last episode for us for 2021, but we will be back in January. But we were able to get our in, uh, Intrepid by Uproarious Games to the table, and we had backed that on Kickstarter. It's one, I mean, it's one of those things with the way... With global shipping delays i forget games are coming and then they show yeah. up and i'm pleasantly surprised so we were really excited because brad and i are very much space nerds um so we were excited um if you're not familiar with what intrepid is um it's a cooperative game where you're trying to complete missions to survive on the international space station now first i have to tell you that 
Intrepid has been on our table since we took Sleeping Gods off, and it sat there for, what, like a week and a half till yeah, we actually we got to play, to play it. it. So we we got to play it, and at first, and I don't want to give you know too much away, because like Brad mentioned with Dinosaur Roaring, right, we probably will review um, Intrepid on a podcast in the new year. But at first, I'm like, oh my God, this is awful, because it's just bad things happening to you. <laughs> so many bad things are happening on the space station to you. And so I just had a lot of fun finally like getting into, I want to say, like a dark humor version of myself playing the game and just accepting <laughs> that at the end of every every turn around, whatever we want to call it, is something awful was going to happen we were just going to have to deal with it but it was a lot of it was a lot of fun and it was it was fun to finally get it to the table because we were really looking forward to that one yeah yeah i mean in space literally everything can kill you and i feel like that game kind of nails that aspect of it because (laughs) everything is going wrong all the time all right so i don't know i don't have any news this week no neither do i yeah okay so then didn't do our homework we, we didn't do our homework. I mean, our we're having some fun times with our toddler right now. Let's just, let's just say that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, crowdfunding corner, do you want to go first, Brad? Sure. So uh, this week I'm looking at Free at Last by Jim Dietz of the Dietz Foundation on Kickstarter. And it's a uh, car-driven game about the 1960s civil rights movement. And you play as key organizations to that movement. Um, I love card-driven games. I think it's probably my favorite board game mechanic. Um, and there's, But there's something about most historical-based ones that does wrinkle the brain a little bit. Uh, as an example, we backed Votes for Women by Fort Circle Games, which is about the women's suffrage mu- movement. And I'm super looking forward to that. going to play it a lot when it gets here, probably. However, I'm not necessarily looking forward to playing as the anti-suffrage forces, right? (laughs) Um, I will play them because my desire to experience the game outweighs my discomfort at playing, you know, the people that have aligned themselves against women's suffrage in that game from a historical perspective. Uh, But most, you know, historical CDGs... um, kind of have one side that's on the right side of history and i feel like a lot of the time that's the side most people want to play as right and what really made me interested about free at last is it sidesteps that whole issue by being semi-cooperative um while there's only one overall winner in the game players are all on the side of the civil rights and equality movement so nobody's playing as the segregationists, right? Um, so players have to work together to pass projects and advance the anti-segregation agenda or the movement will fail and the forces of segregation will prevail, right? And then the overall winner is the person who makes the biggest impact on history or whatever the case may be, right? Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, that's definitely a change from from most of the historical games we have because you and I love history. So, I'll, yeah, I'm really interested in this one, too, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And how long um, is it up for? Yeah, so that's uh, Free at Last by Jim Dietz, and that's on Kickstarter through December 14th. What about you, Jess? What would you pick this week? 
So I picked Fast Trek by Swati Gupta, CEO of Zipri Games. And this is a, a first time game for the this company and this designer. And that was Fast Track or Fast Trek? Fast Trek. Oh, okay. Like Star Trek. Oh, gotcha. All right. But not in space. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I picked this one because, as I mentioned a little bit ago, we have a toddler. And I'm always watching out for games that, you know, she might be able to play soon. Now, this one is a little bit out of her age range because this is for five plus, but it's a game for two to four players. And um, Fast Track is a cooperative game that has kids work together as they try to reach their campsite before dark. And along the way, they battle shape monsters and they have to gather different items that they'll need for when they get to their campsite. And I picked this one this week because I just loved this story. It was a mom um, who was inspired by her camping trips with her kids to make a board game. And I <laughs> I just love that as a mom. I just absolutely love that. So Fast Trek takes about 20 minutes to play. And... Um, it's, it's pretty cute. If you look at the Kickstarter, it's on Kickstarter. If you look at the Kickstarter page, they have pictures showing where, how, where they started with the design as a family and like how it evolved into what it looks like now. And the shape monsters are pretty cute. And I think at this point, if you've listened to any of our previous podcasts, you know I'm a sucker for all things cute. So um, there is obviously, because it's a first-time publisher, we all know there's, there's risk with that. Sure. I mean, that's just, that's a given. And I have to say this one is only currently available for the U.S. and Canada. And normally I wouldn't pick that. But in this case, I'm really excited for this mom and this project. So that's why I wanted to feature it this week. Um, It's not fully funded, but it has a low starting point for U.S. backers of $20 for the game. And... um, they had teachers review, right? You usually go on yeah, Kickstarter and you see that it's like, you know, one of the well-known content creators out there is reviewing the game, but that's not who um, they pick. They pick teachers and all the teachers had really great things to say. So if you're a parent and you're looking for a game, um, you know, if your kids are on the age of five, this may be one you want to consider backing. Um, it's expected, I believe, in September of next year. If it gets funded, as of right now, it's not funded, but it is going to be up for another 40-some days, I think, until January 14th. Yeah, it's interesting, especially for smaller board game companies. I wonder if we're going to start seeing more restrictive shipping options with all the stuff that's going on with, like, VAT and shipping and taxes and stuff in the UK and other European countries. It'll be interesting to see how that develops. Yeah, I know. And and it's sad, right? Because you see, I think, I, I mean, I follow um, board game um, people all over the world on Twitter, on my personal account. And I just saw someone, you know, looking for someone who, like for a game for someone five plus, And I was like, oh, yeah. And then I realized that they were someone from Poland. So I couldn't recommend this, yeah. this game to them. And I also, you know, so, but... For those of you in the U.S. and Canada, if you have kids and you're looking for something to teach them, you know, cooperative play, I suggest heading over to Kickstarter and checking out Fast Track. Sounds good.
Okay, then. Well, let's jump into our topic for the week. And so for our last podcast of the year, Brad and I decided since the holidays were coming up that we should do a kind of a gift buying list. And we kind of broke them out into categories to talk about, which Brad has some fun names for (laughs) at least one of these. Um, So, yeah, I mean, let's just kind of jump in. And as we talk through it, we'll talk about different things. Because even though it's for the holidays, gift buying for board games and what we're going to talk about is kind of universal. So, you know, whether it's a birthday or an anniversary, you know, some of the things we're going to talk about here, you can use any time of the year. So you want to start with the first category? Sure. So the first category that we are taking a look at here is buying a new board game for a veteran gamer somebody who's been in the hobby a really long time probably has their own collection all that stuff and the first thing i want to say about this is you should probably just ask them especially if you don't know a lot about board games yourself because it's almost a hundred percent that they have a list of games that they're currently courting as it were and would be happy to receive as a gift. Well, and there's another way. I mean, I tell Brad that I look at gift buying as kind of an art form. And there are ways to, if you want to be a little sneaky about it for your friends or your loved ones, <laughs> um, you know, find them on like BGG or BGA. You know, look up look up what they're talking about. If they have a wish list on those sites, um, you know, if you know they belong to you know some type of you know group or something, watch their social media. See what games are like. Oh man, I wish I could get that. And then you know, add them to a list that you watch too. Yeah, like a Camel 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 or something. Yeah. Yeah, and the other way to do it is for this particular group is to focus on a unique experience in board gaming um, to try to give them something that they maybe haven't seen before, right? Um, So even if you're not buying off a list, you can offer them something that might be totally different than what they've experienced in the past. Mm -hmm. And so with that in mind, why don't we go ahead and talk about Sleeping Gods? Which was our last podcast so there's a whole there's a whole game night with the saints episode about it if you want to learn more um i will say and we said this in our podcast sleeping gods is really is an incredible and unique experience that i've had for adventure slash campaign games um make sure that you're buying it for someone with a lot of table space and the time to play it that's that's two of the, the things for it yeah definitely and that's uh, published by Red Raven Games. And we did a whole podcast episode on it, so we're not going to go too in-depth on that one. But you're essentially, you know, part of a crew that is sucked away to a mystical a mystical place. And you're trying to get home. Um, and you have a ship that, that goes around the, the board. And, well, it's not it's not board. It's a book. Yeah, it's a, yeah, Atlas. But, um, you know... If you're looking for an individual and they love like kind of like mythos type things with, you know, like the old gods and a little bit of mystery behind their adventure. And it's it's one to look into. Um, It may be a little hard 
to to get and it does have a higher price point then yeah, that's true so but um we definitely wanted to make sure we included it in the holiday gift list for a unique experience for veteran gamers yeah definitely the next one is one on our list that i always smile whenever we talk about it it's uh Millennium Blades by Level 99 Games. Now, Brad had wanted this game for a while. <laughs> and when he would talk about it, I had, and I do mean zero interest in this game when he was first talking about it. Because you you were involved in the magic scene for, for a while, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, Magic the Gathering the uh, collectible card game and what millennium blades is is it's a simulation of being a tournament level player in a collectible card game scene so you play um as a player of that game and you play over um three different tournament seasons and you have to build a deck for each tournament play in the tournament and then compare how you did to other people to figure out if you're the Millennium Blades champion or not. And when we actually got the game and we played it, I fell in love with it. There's a lot to enjoy. I I don't think, I can't think of anything that comes, like anything else like it out there. And if there is, I'd love to hear about it to try it. But I didn't think I would have any interest because when Brad would talk about his magic days, I was kind of like, okay, that's nice. I'm not really interested. (laughs) (laughs) But when we played Millennium Blades, it was a lot of fun. So I got why he enjoyed the challenge of building a deck and trying to play it. And and they do fun things. There's a lot of like pop culture in the game with the cards. It's a lot of fun. So um, definitely one if you're looking for a unique experience. There's a lot of content out there for it i think we have it all at this point um but we got the base game uh on sale so it's one that goes on sale sometimes on amazon and not probably your local game stores if you keep your eyes open for it yeah and it's really just such a meta experience to play through an entire tournament season in about two hours because part of the game is also um done in real time so that's also pretty unique. There are some other games that utilize real-time elements, but where it works here is because it condenses the experience into a manageable time period, whereas, you know, tournament seasons and Magic are, like, three months long, right? And in Millennium Blades, a game of Millennium Blades is two hours. So, you know, you've really condensed that experience into, you know, lightning into a bottle kind of situation. Well, and it works for us because otherwise I would probably take three months in one game trying to perfect my deck for our first play. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's next on our list? Uh, I'm going to talk about Twilight Struggle by GMT Games. And this is on the list um, because it's kind of the... And a lot of people will have this game because it was on the B- it was the number one game on Board Game Geek for a really long time, and I think it's still in the top ten. Um, and what it is, it's a card-driven game about the Cold War, with one side playing as the USSR and one side playing as the United States. And there's just something about a 
very conflict-rich game where both players are actively trying to avoid um, straight-up conflict because every time you have, you know, a real fight, you know, they're called coups in, uh, in the game, but every time there's a coup, you get that much closer to nuclear annihilation, and it really just captures the tension of the time period and the subject matter in such a way that's uh, really interesting. And it uses a historical model that has been proven completely inaccurate, but at the time was on everyone's mind called the domino theory, where if one country falls, it makes it easier for the next country to fall to communism and all this other stuff, right? And it's really interesting to see that play out on the board as if it was, you know, the real world. Well, when we talk about... Um twilight struggle it's it's one of those games where like i one thing brad mentioned is a lot of people may already have it so when we were talking earlier about looking for a wish list a lot of people do put out their collection list as well so if you're not sure if the person you're buying for has the game you may be able to find their collection list on um bgg or board game atlas or one of those sites may may have it or just you know Try to look casual when you go over to their house and are snapping pictures of their collection to see what they have later when you're shopping. <laughs> um, but then the other thing, for Brad and I, we both we both really love history. So, you know, all history. There's not a limit to the type of history we enjoy. So um, this is a good game if you have someone who enjoys some modern history and, like, is you know, because... I learn from some of these games we play because they have cards in there, real things sure. that happen. Yeah. And then, you know, I always, I always look it up later to learn more about it if I didn't learn about it in school or on my own reading. So it's a good game if you have someone, um, you know, and it's a two-player game. So, you know, um, it'd be, that'd be your target audience, somebody who, you know, has someone else that they can regularly play with. It does take a decent amount of time and table space. So those are just some things when you're doing your shopping you want to think about, but I do recommend it for the history buff who loves board games. So Jess, do you know what my favorite Red Ribbon Games game is? Your favorite? Hmm. Is it the one that I think is a work of art and they should make into like a, a, a miniseries or a TV show? No, it's uh, Sleeping Gods. But Oh, but, that was a trick question. But before Sleeping Gods, it was Empires of the Void 2, mm. which is an amazing 4X experience that plays in about 90 minutes, which is unique unto itself because the 4X genre, standing for explore, exploit, expand, and exterminate, those games usually clock play times of three to 12 hours so here's a forex game that plays in 90 minutes looks gorgeous like you were saying and plays well at two players or four and it uh definitely does not get the credit that it deserves in my opinion well and so empires of the void uh to give you like the the theme and why i i really hope there's like a comic series are you listening red raven games um or you know the a story like that's written just give me an expansion just give me an expansion no i want a tv show (laughs) um but it's set in a uh it's a sci-fi space adventure 
And there are different races in the human race that is nomads because for whatever, I forget, I think they tell us, but Earth is um, no longer habitable and it's in the future and we're out there wandering through space. And it's just, it's a really interesting world universe on this board game and uh, I really enjoy it. So um, like Brad said, if you have someone who enjoys 4X games, but they haven't been able to get it to the table and, you know, they're either, you know, they love Star Trek or Star Wars, this, this is a, this is a good game for them. Yeah, definitely. So the next one, when we talk about the next game, it was an anniversary. I was our last year anniversary present, right? On Yeah. Yep. Um, our second anniversary. And uh, we have de- we decided last year that instead of buying each other presents for our anniversary, that we were going to go in on board game, a board game each year that fit with the theme of the anniversary year. And it was what, cotton yeah. last year. So we couldn't quite find something with cotton that we wanted. And then Brad found... Um, Rococo by Eagle Griffin Games and it's about designing clothes and is it Louis the 14th? I think so. Uh, court and he came to me and he's like I don't know if you'd like this do you want to do it's about designing clothes and I'm like yes and then I had to confess as a kid we only had one channel growing up where I lived and it was CBS. So I grew up watching Young and the Restless and Bold and the Beautiful. And no one may know what those are, but Bold and the Beautiful is a soap opera about fashion designing in LA. And I always wanted to be a fashion designer when I was little cuz that was the show I watched. <laughs> so um but it's a really unique board game. It has it's very it's beautiful too when we talk about it. Yeah, yeah. I want to say it's done by Ian O'Toole, the art, but I'm not 100% on that. Um, he does most of Yellow Griffin games releases now. Um, but it's a really interesting combination of area majority and deck building. And when you think about the theme, that is not the type of game you would expect it to be. Um, but you're basically trying to put your dresses in the event hall in the you know, choice locations where they'll they'll be seen by the most people and all that. And you're also trying to manage your employee pool, which is your deck. And uh, those two mechanics jive really well together. It's a really great game. Uh, It was unavailable for a really long time until Eagle Griffin Games picked it up. And now it is available again. But um, just as a note of caution it is now only available in a deluxe edition which is very expensive so this is really one for the really special people in your life so next up is one we also did a podcast about and on that podcast i said about this game for final thoughts that if I had to run in and I could only save two board games. This would be one of them. And it is Obsession by Kayenta Games. And I have to try not to gush here because I don't want to <laughs> gush over the. <laughs> but I, I do love this game. I love it very much. The theme is you are a aristocratic house that has fallen 
into, I don't want to say ruin, but essentially you're trying to rebuild your reputation and your estate and your family name. And it's a very unique experience compared to many of our other games. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a theme you would expect to see in board games a lot, but you actually don't. There are way more Cthulhu games than there are games set in the Victorian era. And, um, we don't have to go into it too much because we've got a whole podcast episode about it if you want to listen to it. Um, but the important details are a new printing of it has just become available, I believe, worldwide. In the U.S., you can get it direct from the Kayanta Publishing website. And uh, other parts of the world, I believe it's through normal distribution channels. But it is a fantastic game that needs more attention. And uh, I just want Dan Halligan to be most super successful so he designs another board game (laughs) and i will say for this game if you love you know jane austen if you love bridgerton if you love downton abbey or you know someone in your life who loves those things and you've been trying to think of a gift for them and they enjoy board games this is the gift if they don't have it and they will love you forever if you buy it for them and even if they don't love any of those things, like I don't care about any of that stuff. And I still love this game. Uh, this is a really solid game. It's a work placement game with um, light hand management, resource management, and it's a really tight economy and it just flows so well. You get into it pretty much without even wanting to. And uh, yeah, it's just great. Well, and we'll link, we'll link in our show notes this time um, uh, links back to our, our podcast. for the games that we've done uh, episodes on. So that kind of closes out the list we had for the veteran gamers of trying to find them a unique experience. But what about the person who is getting excited about, you know, hobby board games and they're what we would call a quote unquote newer gamer to the hobby. What do we have there for them, Brad? Yeah, so these would be people that definitely enjoy hobby board games, but maybe they have a a small collection. They haven't seen the depth and breadth of the hobby yet, right? Um, And that's a great place to be because everything is new and exciting, right? They haven't played 30 worker placement games yet, right? Um, But the downside of that is sometimes there isn't, tendency to be overwhelmed by more complex games so it's just about showing uh this type of gamer what hobby board gaming can be right and with that in mind i think one of the best places to start for a worker placement game is champions of midgard by gray fox games this was a pretty early um addition to our collection and it's still in our collection because it's also really solid as a worker placement game. And I just want to say, when I first, when we first played uh, Champions of Midgard, I was, I would actually consider myself in this category that I was a newer board game player. True. And it was what three, four years ago yeah, now. Yeah, it's four years now. <laughs> at um, PAX Unplugged, we went and we sat down at the table, and we got to do the demo of this game and I'm pretty frugal with our finances <laughs> and so when we got up Brad's like what do you think I'm like buy it 
by it all, by the expansion, by that mat we just played on, by those wooden pieces. It was a lot of fun. And I didn't feel overwhelmed by the game um, as a newer gamer sitting at the table with, you know, other people who clearly had much more gaming experience at the demo than I did. I didn't feel like the game was leaving me behind or it was too much to take in. Yeah, and what I really like about Champions of Midgard is it is expandable. The expansions don't just add more of the same. They fundamentally, well, actually there's two expansions. The Dark Mountain expansion is more of the same. So if you really like what base Champions of Midgard is offering, you get the Dark Mountain expansion and you've got more of the game you love. If you think you're ready to take it to the next level, you get Valhalla right? Champions of Midgard Valhalla expansion. And it adds this entire new economy to the game from your dead warriors um, that you can use to spend on rewards. And it fundamentally changes the game, adds a little bit of complexity, and it's just a great way to get even more mileage out of, you know, your budding collection or whatever the case may be. And this is a good one. Um, and we, we have a written review, I think, for this one. Um, for Champions of Midgard, it's a good one for someone who enjoys Norse mythology because it's set in like that world where you're, you know, the, was it the Jarl, right? Yeah. The Jarl stuff. has, has, the old Jarl has died and you're one of these champions that's fighting to prove that you're worthy of the glory, can get the glory to be the next leader, right? Um, but we have played this one with other friends who are, you know, dipping their toes in the hobby. Um, it also travels well. It's a good game. The base game fits very well in the box and it's easy to travel. So, um, you know, it's a good one for new gamers who maybe are trying to go to local friendly board game nights. They can easily pack it up and take it with them. So, yeah, definitely. So next on the list is Ascension. Chronicles of the Godslayer by Stoneblade Entertainment. And I feel like everybody needs to play a deck builder, right? Because deck building has come full circle. Ascension, Dominion, those games, they are deck builders. That is the game, right? But now you're seeing deck building as a mechanic into entirely different games, right? So you need to understand deck building as like a core mechanic for board gaming nowadays, right? Like Lost Runes of Arnak, as an example, is a deck building work replacement game. It smashes the two together, right? And if you don't understand deck building, that game's a lot harder to understand than if you have experience with deck building. So then the only question is, well, what's your deck builder of choice? And for me, it's Ascension. And this was one, the one in our collection, Brad had played it previously but the one in our collection he had actually bought for me shortly after we started dating as a game to to try and I I think it's a perfect fit I think it's easy to understand I think we've even played it with friends who aren't gamers and they picked it up pretty 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 easily and um you know I think it's a good one to have in the collection um like Brad said if you're new and you're trying to understand the mechanic I think ascension just the theme's fun too so right okay so the next one (laughs) i mentioned earlier in the podcast is uh galaxy trucker by check games edition and 
I love I love this game. Um, <laughs> I'm not even sure what it, it qualifies as. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I'm defies not, categorization. Yeah, it kind of defies uh, categorization. And this is just a game of fun. Um, and it's very it's very easy to play. It's one we've actually debated playing with our parents because we, yeah. we don't think it's that hard to pick up. But you're essentially... Um, you in, in a timed setting, you are trying to build the best ship possible over three rounds, and then um, you go through essentially trying to go through space to get as much items and as many points. And it's just fun. It's just fun building your ship and trying to make the best ship you can in a short amount of time ahead of the other people, yeah. and then just watching as like asteroids or like space pirates like come along. It's it, it's a good one. Do you have anything you want to add about it? Yeah, I think it's a really, I do think it defies categorization. So you get that unique aspect to it. And I also think it's a really good one to pull out when people are like, oh, board games are boring. You know, it takes so long. You know, I'm just waiting for my turn. Everybody else, you know, has their go and then I have mine and I'm waiting again. It's like, this is a real time game. Uh, So you are constantly engaged and there's a lot of time pressure there and it's just so fun to build your ship and watch it get smashed to pieces or you know enjoy the misfortune of other people as their ship gets smashed to pieces and uh it's not a lot of rules grid or overhead and it wasn't going to be on this list but check games edition just released a new edition and so now it's in print again and more people get to enjoy galaxy trucker and that's great Absolutely. I still had the best looking ship that one game. (laughs) Um, So the next one we talked about um, when we did our Halloween theme theme games, which is Broom Service by um, Ravensburger. And uh, that's one that um, we were introduced to by playing with other people. And it's just it's a it's a fairly easy, lighthearted game where you're playing little witches that are flying around with potions trying to deliver their potions and uh yeah it's uh a really good use of action selection which is another kind of mechanism you see in a lot of board games and i like that there's a real nice risk reward flow to this game because you can be cowardly and guarantee your action or you can be brave and get a really supercharged version of your action unless somebody else was brave as well. And then you get nothing, right? So you're always kind of weighing that choice and the turn order is variable. So you're never like stuck going first or last. And it's designed by Alexander Pfister, um, which is a very popular name in board games. But this is one of his less known games, I would say. He's mostly known for you know, Maracaibo and Great Western Trail, stuff like that. Um, But, uh, you know, room service, it's great. It's easy to get to the table. So the next one in this category is Dice Hospital. And that's a uh, worker placement game where you play as a hospital administrator trying to basically cure as many patients as possible and prevent any or all of them from dying but there are more patients arriving all the time so you really got to be very efficient at your 
at running in your hospital. And this is a good one for introducing people to simultaneous play because it's a work placement game, but all of the worker placement actions happen on your own personal board. And it's a great trick that lots of board games use to speed up their play time. And I think the first time you see it, you're kind of like, oh, wow, this should take way longer than it is. But it's because everyone's doing their admin stuff at the same time that the game takes almost no time at all. It takes like an hour, right? Yeah. And it's like Brad said, it's it's a hospital theme game. And it really gave me a perspective I never actually had before with hospitals. And it's something I think everyone across the world has become familiar with these past two years, which is running out of space, right? You don't actually normally think of a hospital running out of space, but this game really can drive that point home yeah. as it goes on. And because the goal is essentially, it's just played with normal standard um, six D6 dice, right? Like the six sided dice and they're your patients. And if they drop below one, they, they like are deceased. <laughs> That's bad. You get negative points for that, obviously. So you're trying to get them up to uh, seven, right? Yeah. yeah you're trying six to and then over. six and then they flip. Right. And then they, they are discharged, but, and it doesn't sound that hard, but you've got limitations because of the worker placement of how many you can increase and what you can increase. And, um, it really sometimes, especially as the game goes on, becomes hard to balance trying not to lose anyone and trying to check enough people out so that you have space the next turn for the next round of patients that come in and you know there's been several games where I've I haven't been I've my hospital just was overflowing and it's it's really it's a really interesting experience and perspective that I never had until I played Dice Hospital so but it's pretty easy. I would feel comfortable getting it out. Um, and I mean, easy in a bad way. I, I feel when we talk about new, newer gamers, like we said, we're trying not to overwhelm them. We want them to feel that, you know, these are games they can pick up and they can play and they can have fun. So, you know, if they have an interest in, you know, medical related things, this is, this is a great, great game for newer gamers. Yeah, definitely. All right, so the last one in this category is Gods Love Dinosaurs by Pandasaurus Games. And I don't typically like abstract games, but this one kind of blew me away a little bit. It's really fun, and there's a lot going on under the hood of this game. This is one of these games when we finish. Normally when we finish a game, it's like, okay, let's try and play another game. Because our time to play, we talk about it on every podcast, has been so limited with our toddler and her schedule. But this is when we finished, and Brad looks at me, he's like, well, what do you want to play next? I'm like, can, can we play this again? Because just it's a game where you're trying to feed the T-Rex and get as many points as possible with different kinds of animals that do different things and different and setting up different tiles. And, um, it's, it's just fun. I mean, it's just a game we bring to the table when we just, we just know we need a relaxing game night and we want to have fun. And it's the, it's simple setup. It's simple play. It's honestly I could have put this under any category for the most part for our list because yeah. that's that's how highly I think of, of this game. 
Yeah, it's great. I mean, we did we did like a mini Twitter review of this game, which is not a format that I think we're going to adopt in the future because it's really tedious to do a thread on Twitter. But um, one of the things I said about it was it's great for less and more experienced gamers because less experienced gamers are going to be thinking about how to make their species thrive, right? Because it's a food chain and you have to make sure that you're not overculling any individual species or else they won't, you know, they won't breed and there won't be more of them, right? Um, but more experienced gamers are going to be looking at the tiles and thinking about tempo considerations and figuring out when they can cause a dinosaur activation or species activation to benefit themselves and hamper their opponents. And, you know, both of those players are having fun and they're both engaging with the same game. And, you know, there's no wrong way to play this game in that regard, right? It goes as deep as you want, but both of those players are still competitively viable. And I think that that is a rare thing. Absolutely. So let's talk about for kids, right? I talk about games for kids and a lot of my board game memories have been playing with Jaina, our toddler, and doing things with her. Um, And obviously when we think of Christmas, a lot of us do think of, you know, kids, whether it's our own kids or our, our nieces, our nephews, or our friends' kids, whoever, whoever it is. Right. Um, so, uh, there's a, there's a big age group. You and I talk about this all the time when people talk about quote unquote family games, well, what's the family, right? Cause our family is two adult gamers and a two and a half year old. <laughs> um, but you know, you take the next house down the street and you're talking about, you know, family of five with an age range of, you know, six to 14. So we're going to kind of what our list is a little spaced out to cover a wider age of for kids games. So you want to take the first one? Sure. So the first one on this list is Awakening Lair by Rather Dashing Games. And this is actually a game that we picked up that one year that we went to Gen Con. And it is a, you know, introduction to dungeon crawlers there's a randomly generated dungeon and everybody's got their own hero with a special ability and they can only use certain types of equipment and there's a big bad monster at the end that wakes up and starts coming down the dungeon to uh hamper the players but until that happens you're just fighting monsters getting treasure all that stuff and you're gearing up for the big bad guy and it's uh, fully cooperative which is great because that way you can help some of the younger players at the table and uh yeah it's just a it's a fun time a lot of dice rolling well and i i want to add because you talk about like a dungeon crawler and monster it's it's not scary at all yeah it's very Um, cartoony it's very cartoony our actual actually our two and a half year old's obsessed with the box because it has like eye staring out of the dark and she calls it dark amore and she likes to have us get the box down and open it up um but i would say you know i think it says 14 on it right yeah, it's one of those ones that's... that says 14 but we think it's probably a that testing thing where... yeah you could probably play this with eight-year-olds yeah for sure i i think so i think you could safely probably say you could play it with an with an eight-year-old um plus and you know Brad and I enjoy it too as again as experienced gamers so it's one of those things like if you're looking for a fun game 
um, with a younger person in your life or a family present, this, this is a fun one. So, yeah, definitely. So next up is Dragonwood by Game Right and similar. It's, it's a pretty straightforward and simple game. Yeah, it's a, so what it is is a probabilities engine. When you think about it, you basically are trying to reach a target number on giving cards and you have to roll a die. And I think the die is only uh, numbered one through three, which I did not realize when we first played it. So my probability calculations were completely off. But uh, and you're, you're basically just trying to get the best equipment you can, defeat the best monsters and have the most points at the end of the game. And it's pretty simple. I mean, your parents played it, so I mean, yeah. I, I feel, you know, uh, but, but seriously, it's, it's, uh, these games, sometimes we're talking about games that are good to introduce the younger set to hobby gaming and Dragonwood is one of those games where there's, you know, I think this one, I don't remember the ages, this might say 14 plus again, I don't remember, I don't remember. yeah, and I can't see the box from where I'm at right now, so I would say, um, but probably this one's at, you know, eight to 10 range again, uh, for the family. Yeah. All right. So next up for kids, we've got King of Tokyo currently being published by Yellow Games. Not sure who's going to publish it once Yellow US doesn't exist anymore. Right. Um, but this one is just a lot of fun. It's more dice rolling. Sounds like a theme here in our kids games. But uh, you play as, you know, giant city-destroying monsters, and only one of you can be the king. So you have to roll dice to damage the other monsters and heal yourself and buy power-ups, and, you know, your monster can grow two heads or get lightning breath or whatever. And it's just a really good time. It plays really quick. And because, you know, stuff can happen to you on other people's turns you're constantly engaged and you know who doesn't love to pick up a handful of dice roll a bunch of claw signs and you know smash into somebody else right yeah i i agree i think the theme alone i think you'll find a lot of interest we actually just bought it for our our little neighbor girl for her 11th birthday i think it was so again i think that's the it's similar to the other two that's around the age range you're looking at for for uh king of tokyo yeah so let's talk about animal upon animal by (laughs) haba which is a game where um you're stacking up animals yeah animal meeples it's like an animal jenga almost (laughs) yeah yeah and um i haven't played there's there's two versions there's the normal one for their i guess you would call it but then there's the only one i have played is the junior which we have for jaina so it comes in two versions so if you have a little one like us the junior version jane just has a blast with it i love playing it with her we get it out she doesn't do well with stacking (laughs) the meeples because when she gets two up she then takes her hand swipes it and knocks them down she hasn't quite gotten that part of the game but she loves like she gets really excited when like i'm like okay we'll flip over the the cardboard chits that are part of 
part of it. Um, and I'll be like, okay, you know, put the, put the alligator over here on the raft. And she gets really excited at being able to identify it. So the thing I just, I could probably, I probably will at some point ask Brad to do a podcast about Hava games just for kids, because I have a lot of respect as a mom and, you know, I'm the full-time parent for Janice or her daytime educator for what Hava games bring to the table for education for kids. And, um, there's an excitement that the games bring. And I will say this, especially for the junior, if you're a parent, you're thinking of buying a board game for your two-year-old, you're like, uh, how safe is this game for them really? Right. Because as parents, we order and we buy a lot of things. It's like, yeah, this is fine for a two-year-old. And you get at home, you're like, what is the sharp pointy thing on this object for my kid? I feel completely safe with all the junior games we've bought for Jaina and others. Um, we actually just ordered this as a Christmas present for um, my cousin's little girl, who's a few months younger than Jaina, because I think animal upon animal is is a great educational and fun tool to have in your house, regardless of whether it's the junior or the older version. Do you have anything you want to say? Yeah, so the junior version, as Jess was talking about, has nice chunky meeples, and the regular version has much smaller meeples, and you have much larger stacks of animals because of the scale. Um, But it's the kind of game, and dexterity games in general have their own special magic, right? Because anyone will play them, and everybody gets the concept immediately. Oh, you got to take these animals, you roll the... I think in the the regular version, it's a die you roll that tells you which animal to add to the stack. And uh, yeah, so you roll your die and it's like, oh, you got to put sheep on top of this crocodile or whatever, right? And it's, you know, it just is funny and people will be laughing and they'll be playing and, and it really bridges that divide because you can play this with your grandparents and your parents and your kids all in one go, right? And everybody will have a good time and everybody will get it. And there's not always a lot of games that bridge such a huge age range, but because of the tactile nature of a dexterity game and the theme of this particular one, you can really get there. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. So the next one's a game we've talked about quite a few times in recent months since we acquired it, which is Mary Magica. Um, by Pegasus Spiel. And this is again for the younger set. I think on the box it says three plus, but we've had it for Jaina for several months now. So I feel comfortable saying like our two and a half year old is okay with it. Um, And, you know, it's a game where there's a little wooden witch meeple and you're trying to get her dressed to go out and about and do her witchy things out (laughs) there. And Jana just has so much fun with this this game. Um, we picked this one up at our, our local game store. She saw it. She wanted it right away because she's been obsessed with all things Halloween since like the first Coca Melon video <laughs> she saw. Um, but, you know, it's it's really easy. It's very straightforward. And, you know, just to for parents who are wondering, well, will my kids have fun when Jana got all the pieces the first time she took the meeple and she like went running through our house screaming yay i did it (laughs) that's the kind of joy it brings to your kids so it's one that you know we as parents have fun playing with her because she has so much fun and gets so excited every time that magnetic um bottom of the meeple connects with one of the cardboard shits she just it's fun 
Yeah, yeah, and the the object of the game, as you were saying, is is to get dressed, and yeah, they put a magnet in the the witch meeple, and then only some of the cardboard chips have like a piece of metal in them or something. So you've got to find the magic clothes, right? Mm-hmm. And Jane just gets so excited when she finds magic boots or whatever, <laughs> and uh, it's really cute. It's really well designed. And then our last game, which again is uh, for really young kids, is First Orchard by Haba. And this is a great game um, to teach a number of different concepts to, to children. It's a So the object of the game is to get all of the fruit into your orchard basket before the raven or crow or whatever. I think it's a raven. Yeah, gets to the orchard and eats all the fruit. So uh, there's a die, and you roll it, and each of the uh, die faces is a color, or a basket, or a raven. And if it's the raven, the raven gets one step closer. And if it's a color, you have to pick the color of the fruit and put it in the basket, right? Really simple. But what you're teaching your, your kid here is color recognition, right? And turn-taking, which is super important. And also, you know, structured play, which is great. And... Uh, you can start doing that as early as like one and a half because that's when we got it for Jane. Yeah, yeah. it they, says two in the box, but we got it for her for Christmas last year. So, or Santa did. Yeah, I'm not sure. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's big chonky pieces. Nobody's gonna hurt themselves or swallow anything or anything like that. So, really well made. Um, if just to add to how much we actually believe in First Orchard as a great present, if someone was to ever see stand behind me when I was on the first orchard page on Amazon, it would say you have ordered this game six times previously because we buy it for, (laughs) we literally buy it for every kid in our life when they're, they're having their second birthday, like every single kid. (laughs) That's how much I think this is a great game and brings so much to the table for your little one. Yeah, definitely. So the next category that we have is the one that I said Brad had a unique name for, and he told me he couldn't think of anything else other than games to indoctrinate people into the hobby. Yeah, so these are going to be games that... uh, I couldn't think of another name, I'm sorry. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) these are going to be games that you play with people to try to get them interested in board gaming as a hobby, right? And there's... I'm just looking at our list here. There's kind of a range of um, different types of games here and probably levels of of difficulty here. But one of the things, and this is just a general gift buying thing that I encourage everybody to kind of think of, is think about the person, right, Right. and their interest that you're buying for. And I know that sometimes the worst thing that can happen is you get into, like, one of those family like gift exchanges and it's like well I don't know cousin Melvin I haven't talked to him in like six years and I have his name in a gift exchange and it goes back to what I was saying you can use things to find out what cousin Melvin is interested in right social media Pinterest like what are they liking you know what are they sharing what are you know you can find out people's interest and that's just a general gift buying tip is what do they enjoy and then look for games around that when it comes to game buying for gifts. So the first one up is Watergate. Yeah, so this is Watergate by Capstone Games. And 
what we're trying to do here, right, is kind of meet people where they are, like Jess was talking about, right? So, and show them that there's overlap in the board game space. So this would be a great game for a history buff in your life, right? Because if they have any interest in the Watergate scandal, then they will see, you know, the events of that scandal in the game. And it's a really great card-driven game with a ton of back and forth. And unlike most card-driven games, it plays in like half an hour and has really light rules overhead. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're big fans of, of Watergate for sure. And so the next one is Dinosaur Island, another one by Pandasaurus Games. Now this is for your Jurassic Park, your Jurassic World fans. You are essentially building your own dinosaur park on your own dinosaur island and competing against other players to have the best park. And um, it has three different kinds of play, short, medium, and long. We usually prefer the baby bear middle (laughs) on that. Um, But yeah, it's a worker placement at at its heart. So uh, I think that's a really fun one to show people. You can love things like the concept of you know, DNA building dinosaurs and find that in a board game. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Jurassic Park is so pervasive in popular culture and you can be like, well, you know, you played Dinosaur Tycoon, the computer game. You want to play Dinosaur Tycoon, the board game? Because here you go, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. So the next one is for the science fans in your life and it's terraforming Mars by stronghold games. And this is a little more complex than some of the other games we mentioned, but a real science enthusiast will probably meet you where you are because there's a lot of cool stuff in this game, right? You know, there's meteors smashing into the planet to melt the polar ice caps of Mars and stuff like that. Um, you know, giving Mars a magnetic field because that'll be part of the terraforming process, right? Like all sorts of cool science and pseudoscience stuff in this game. Yeah, I I honestly, I think if I wasn't a board game fan, I would still enjoy this because I love sci-fi movies. And this is, this is a theme you see so often come up in pop culture of sci-fi. Um, we've been watching The Expanse. We actually just got the Expanse board game from our friendly local game store because we've been enjoying the Expanse show. And I know there's books and I will read them at some point. Um, but like you you hear about the terraforming, right? They've been trying to ter- terraform Mars for so long in that show. And it's something like Brad said, it's just like Jurassic Park. It's pervasive in sci-fi and in science period, the idea and the concept of can we go to another planet and can we make it inhabitable for humans? So I think terraforming Mars would really get this, you know, the science and the sci-fi fans in your life excited to play this game. Yeah, definitely. So Call to Adventure by Brotherwise Games is the next one on our list. And this is one, we have a lot of I think every game we put on here, we have a lot of fun because I don't think we would recommend <laughs> you buy a board game for the people in your life that, oh, we only kind of enjoy playing that. No. Um, 
This is one I think I guess for somebody who maybe has an interest in D&D or enjoys playing D&D and has wanted to maybe hasn't really stepped over into the hobby. This is this yeah. is Yeah. The way I'd spin it, right, is I would pitch it to my D&D friends, right, people who play D&D, and I would tell them, "Well, what if character creation was a game?" Right? Because that's what you're doing in Call to Adventure. You're creating a character as you play through it and you're, you know, building their backstory and here's their tragic event and here's the thing that makes them a hero and whatever, right? And you can just take that, right? And all of a sudden you got a backstory for your next D&D campaign, right? And I think D&D fans or tabletop RPG fans in general will really get a kick out of that. And I like it's um, Kodo Ventures unique from some other games in that it uses runes instead of like dice or, you know, any other of the familiar mechanisms. It just gives it a feel of authenticity. Um, and I don't know, I feel like I'm some kind of shaman casting the runes or something. <laughs> so, so it's Kodo Ventures, uh, a good one to try and bring some of your friends and family into the hobby. Yeah, and then the last one for this category is Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. And this is for, uh, this is by Cephalofair Games. Um, And this is for RPG fans in your life. People who like RPG computer games like Baldur's Gate or, you know, Pillars of Eternity, stuff like that. They're really going to like Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. And the reason I'm recommending Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion is because it is such a better jumping in point to um dungeon crawler hobby board games then base gloomhaven gloomhaven jaws of the lion first thing you see when you open the box which really impressed me how to pack up the box (laughs) and you know why don't more games do that it's great i appreciate it to somebody who owns hundreds of board games and people who are just dipping their toe in the water are absolutely going to appreciate it as well. And that's kind of the philosophy that Jaws of the Lion takes throughout its entire gameplay. The first like six missions, I think, are all teaching you the fundamentals of the game and they drip feed you your character abilities so you can't possibly get overwhelmed as you're going along. All right. So keeping us moving along, because I know we're having this podcast run a little longer than normal. Um <laughs> But since it's our last one of the year, I hope everyone forgives us. (laughs) Um, Games to play with non-gamers. Now, when we talk about gift buying, that might sound counterintuitive, right? But there's kind of a lingo that a lot of people use of gamers, and we think about people in the hobby. And I don't really believe in gatekeeping. Um, And we've been trying to share with our wider friends and family that there's such a huge huge amount of games out there so when you think of non-gamers i think of like our parents um you know grandparents we have neighbors and friends they they don't play games often um but there are so many games out there in the hobby that would be great presents for them to find enjoyment in games And so the first one, and we've talked about this one before when Brad was sharing a memory, is uh, Sushi Go Party by Game Right. And this is one we've played with 
I don't know if we played with your parents. I know we played it with my parents. We played it with our, you know, neighbors who aren't gamers who came over to play with us. Um, it's, you know, it's a very straightforward, simple to understand game. It's, I think it's mostly image driven, right? There's very few words. Uh, I mean, there's some language stuff. Um, it's not completely language independent, but, uh, yeah, it's great. It's, it's as simple as you want it to be, right? Because the cool thing about Sushi Go, um, and especially Sushi Go Party, it's a drafting game. And, you know, when you go to set up the game, you have to create the menu, right? So you pick the cards that are going to be in the draft pool. And there are a ton left in the box. And somebody will always ask you, well, what about all those cards? And you'll be like, oh, no. We'll get to those cards later but first let's play this version right and they'll play it and if they have a good time and almost everybody has a good time with sushi go because it's great it's super easy to understand and the imagery on the cards is just so fun um and if they have a good time then they'll want to experiment with the cards that you left in the box and that just opens the way to you know more and more gaming right and that's great and, and that's kind of what this is, right? This is essentially similar to our earlier list. This is this is for people, even if they have some of those interests, you probably couldn't get them to try terraforming Mars. They would look at it and be like, oh, that's that's too much yeah, for me. Yeah, definitely. Um, and like Brad said, Sushi Go Party is a great way to have get a gift for non-gamers who who they get together with their friends right like yeah. we're seeing it with it your plays parents to like eight people yeah we, we see it with your parents like you have people over it's like well what 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 do we do are we all gonna sit around the room and stare at each other well no it's after dinner let's let's play a let's play a game yeah. right and this is this is one that's easy to get out it accommodates a larger crowd it accommodates a wide age range and everyone has fun at the table yeah and i think this category for me is less about trying to get people into the hobby and more about showing them what it could be right because this is the group of people when you're like oh i'm into board games and they're like oh you mean monopoly right and it's just like <laughs> you're like yep <laughs> absolutely yeah this, that conversation's over right um no you go well actually you know let me show you something right and you know you can try to blow their mind a little bit the next one um, we have on this list is Letter Jam by Czech Games Edition, and this is this is one we played with your parents too, which is just um, a yeah. lot. Lo I like to think, and I Brad probably has a larger vernacular than I do, but I like to think I'm really good at word games. I and then we play oh, this. Everyone's game, bad at Letter Jam, and I we play <laughs> this game, and every time I get the words wrong, I'm really bad at figuring out the words, and I think it really blows my mind every time we play this game how many words are out there and how wrong you can be about figuring out what words are yeah so it's a cooperative word game where you have to figure out the word that you've been assigned through the context clues that other people give you and you have to help them figure out their word through context clues that are not a hundred percent right um and it's just really fun when you're like uh, boats, right, is your word or something. 
and you somehow mess that up completely and get like roads or something because you didn't get enough of the clues and didn't click for you. How much mom used that one time? She used like a proper name that was actually a word that she got away with it being legit, but none of us, none of us understood the clue for it. So we all got the word yeah. wrong. That was yeah. really and, funny. And I mean, that's just what you're, you're signing up for with Letter Jam. It's not super easy to win. And, you know, you just enjoy failing together. Yeah. Right? It's, it's, yeah. It's, and you have, it's that thing we talked about, right? It's after, it's, you know, that family party or after, after dinner, you can all sit around the table and just have a good laugh as you go, as you go through it. Yeah. So next one on this list is a relatively recent addition to our collection and that's Downforce by Restoration Games. And this is a pretty, pretty great game. Um, it's, so I don't want to call it a racing game because it's not, but you are racing cars around the track in uh, F1 racing, Formula One, and the core mechanism is you play cards with different numbers and colors on them, and the numbers move the color of that car a certain amount. And three times throughout the game, you will bet on who you think is going to win the race, right? And everybody's controlling all the cars, so you don't actually have that much control of the situation, and the betting is kind of what's really important, not the race. And I think that surprises a lot of people. And I think when we played this with my parents the first time, the first game, they were like, oh, it's a racing game, whatever, I'm going to win, right? And my dad came in first in the race, the car that he bought came in first. But I won the game because I made the most money on betting, and it just blew his mind. <laughs> I'm, but I'm over here laughing in, internally and trying not to laugh in the mic because Brad's mother essentially accused him of cheating for winning that first game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I bet on the same car all three times because everybody was pushing that car forward. And she's like, "Can you do that?" And I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> and the great thing, about, the other great thing about Downforce, the rule book is like four pages, so it's like, well, if you don't believe me, here you go, right? Right, and it's you know it's another one. It plays two to six players. It plays quickly, thirty yeah. to forty-five minutes max. Oh, not even. I think it's like thirty minutes for your first game, and then twenty for all the rest. Right? Yeah. Once you have it down, it moves pretty fast. Um, and uh, eight eight plus probably. Yeah, I mean this one is if you don't use the special powers, it is pretty language independent. So yeah, it's a it's definitely it's definitely one to consider if you're looking for. You know, games when your family comes to visit because we had a we had a hoot with Brad's parents. Yeah, yeah, and it's just one of those games that will really surprise people, and it's uh, really intuitive, so you can get it to the table easy. Yeah. Now the next one is one your family introduced me to, and I introduced to my family, and now I'm pretty sure everyone in my family has a copy of Cover Your Assets <laughs> by Grandpa Beck's Game, and <laughs> this. This is the one where your family might get a little mad at you at the table when you play, but in the best in the best way because it's a lot of fun. So you're essentially trying to make the most money, right? Like yeah. you're 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 gathering assets. So whether it's like jewelry or cars or ones just like some are just straight money, like there's all kinds of different things, and you're trying to build your pile up to have the most, but other people 
can take your assets. So they call it cover your assets because you want to essentially bury your assets so yeah, people can't you can get only to it. lose the top one. Yeah. And um, it plays what, two to four um, or two to six? I think it's the six. To six. Okay, two to six. Um, and I think it plays well with the four to six six range. Yeah, you definitely don't want to play this with two. Yeah. Um, yeah, you will really be upset with one another. Um, but it plays well. We've we've played it with, like I said, my parents, my my grandmother, who's 80-something years old at this point. I won't give away her real age. <laughs> um, and everybody everybody has has fun with it because there's a little bit of that table oh man you just you just took my like like stack of cars that were worth like fifteen thousand. like oh and you just like i mean that's not actually a lot of money in this game but you get the point yeah it kind of reminds me of what people expect from a card game right like you play Uno with somebody and they're like, oh, there's draw fours and, you know, skips and all that stuff. And there's all this take that take that elements. And it's like, well, this game has that too, but it also has other things that are really valuable, like a defined end point, right? <laughs> like yeah. the game is over when the deck is done. And, uh, you know, you can play it for points, first person to like a million in assets or, you know, you can just play individual rounds and it works out pretty well. Yeah. All right. So... Next up. Uh, yeah, so that's uh, Play 9 by Double A Productions. And this is basically a souped-up version of the card game Golf, which you can play with a regular 52 deck of cards. And that's essentially what this game is. But it has, you know, nice, nicer production values. And I think for people who like that game, this one's a winner. Yeah, I my family um, played the card like with standard card two standard decks of cards the golf card game for as long as I can remember and um, we actually got the play nine for Brad's uh, dad for his birthday this past year and like Brad said there's fun production value to this um, so if you have a golf lover in your life and they enjoy playing card games this is a, this is the perfect gift for them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a. It may be a game they're already familiar with because a lot of people know golf from uh, the regular cards. So. Yeah. All right, so we are coming to the end of our list, um, and it is Whitehall Mysteries by Fantasy Flight Games. Now, this one, the theme is, uh, you're either playing as Jack the Ripper. Or you're the playing as one of the three officers from Scotland Yard trying to hunt him down. And it's a hidden movement game. Right. And so I put the theme out there because they may not want to play Jack the Ripper necessarily with like your younger set. But, yeah, I mean. <laughs> um, you certainly don't want to explain who Jack the Ripper is to a six-year-old. But the... Th- the game itself is a lot of fun. Um, you know, each of the Scotland Yard officers have, you know, a special ability. And then, you know, there's a lot of tension. Um, and it plays from two to two to four, right? Yep. Two to four uh, players. So anything you want to say? Yeah. So I like this one as, you know, a quote unquote gamers game, right? 
Um, but only one person really needs to know what's going on in this game, right? The game runs perfectly fine as long as the most experienced person is Jack the Ripper, right? And in that way, you can have a, you know, full-up board game experience or whatever with people who have never seen a board game before, um, a hobby board game before, because everybody's seen a board game before. That didn't make a lot of sense. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) if, if they've never seen a hobby board game before, right, you can give them that experience as long as you're willing to run the jack player, right? And, um it's really tense on both sides, like just talking about, because a, a good Jack player is going to be able to evade their, you know, fairly easily. But as the board shrinks, because you've got to go to each of the quadrants as Jack to, uh, to win the game, you know, you still get narrowed in on and you get that like crushing feeling of claustrophobia as the, the officers kind of zone in on your position. And, uh, Win or lose, I think everybody has a good time there. I absolutely agree. So that brings us to the end of our holiday slash just gift buying list for the gamers or non-gamers and all the different gamers in your life. (laughs) Um, This is our last podcast for 2021, but we will be back in January um, in the new year with more of Game Night with the Saints. And we thank everyone for listening and your support with our podcast. And we wish you all the happiest of holidays and good health going into the new year. Take care, everybody. We'll uh, see you in 2022.